The second thing to think about is just increasing the diversity of the number of things you eat. Um, you know, your average Westerner eats maybe 15 types of foods each year. Our ancestors ate upwards of 600 different types of foods annually. So it's a, our microbiomes um, have evolved based on that high diversity in diet. Um, and so increasing the number of plant-based materials you eat, fruits that you eat, you know, lean meats. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. Okay, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest is back on the show for our third episode with him, Kieran Krishnan is back and Karen is a research microbiologist and, and has been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for the past 17 years. He comes from a strict research background having spent several years with hands-on R&D in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa and Karen is the former chief scientific officer and as well as founder at Physicians Exclusive LLC and Microbiome Labs. And now he, well, well Karen, tell us, so you're, so you're no longer there anymore. What are you up to now these days? Yeah, you know, a lot of exciting stuff. And, and thank you again for having me, by the way. Um, I know we always have great conversations. Um, so, you know, with, with Microbiome Labs, with founding Microbiome Labs, the big purpose of that was to solve a big problem around gut health. And um, our goal we set out was to resolve the issue of leaky gut and, and also bring uh, a new standard to the, to the world of probiotics, right? So that's why we uh, innovated the idea of a spore-based probiotic. Um, we did a lot of research and published a lot of work um, by trying to set a, a, a new gold standard for what, what a probiotic should be like. Uh, I think with our flagship product, Megaspore, we published almost 15 studies um, on it, trying to set an example that, hey, if you're going to sell a probiotic, you need to understand what it does and, and prove that it's effective and beneficial. Uh, we resolved the issue of leaky gut, which is a major driver of chronic disease. Um, and so after being able to do all that, we, we were able to sell the business and move on. So now I'm tackling new problems. Um, you know, for one, uh, advising and, and supporting new companies, uh, startups that are in the nutritional space and um, pushing them towards science and, and encouraging them to do clinical trials. And, and I'm happy to say that a lot of the um, new companies I'm working with that are in the supplement nutritional space are very inclined to investing in research. Um, and that's a new thing. You know, when I started off in this industry 20 years ago, Companies were he very hesitant to invest in research, and so and so I'm seeing that um, a larger percentage of them are really interested in doing research and understanding the product. So that's one aspect of it is investing, advising. Uh, but I'm also founding a couple new companies. One of them is around uh, starting with hormones. Um, hormone imbalances are a highly complex issue. Um, there is a very complicated but really fantastic test called the Dutch test, which is a hormone metabolite test. So one of the things that, that we're doing is we've created a clinical algorithm 
which basically mimics the brains and the thought patterns of some of the top clinicians in the space. And those clinical algorithms will help doctors and practitioners read the tests and truly understand the pathology. So we're using computing power, um, the ability to connect research and connect the dots very easily using comp computational power to assist practitioners in really understanding the outcomes of some of these complex tests. Um, that's one of them. And then, and that also provides a lot of data and support for the outcomes. Uh, and then the second one is really a, a company looking at rebalancing the skin microbiome. As it turns out, there's a, there's a significant condition called leaky skin. And uh, aged skin and weathered skin, besides not looking good and causing a cosmetic issue for most people, is actually a very prevalent independent risk driver of chronic disease as well. Um, so there's some really interesting signs coming out on that. And a lot of the drivers of this age weathered skin phenomenon, uh, and we're talking about things that, you know, people see that are common, like wrinkles and fine lines and, um, you know, dryness and thinness of the skin and dullness. These are all things we typically think of as age and not attractive, but it's really a disease risk. And um, these features are often driven by a dysbiosis of the skin microbiome. So we're working on a couple of technologies that will adjust the skin microbiome in a positive way. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Are you still at the research stage in the, with these companies or, or are you actually putting things, products out there? So uh, most of them products will be out by the end of the year. We've already done some uh, some pretty good amount of research over the last year and a half or so, uh, but we'll continue to do it. I mean, products will come out. They'll be kind of first phase uh, based on the information we have at hand on the research. But we have a lot of plans to dive into this research uh, even more. You know, we we like to think of ourselves as, as someone that really pioneered uh, the education around leaky gut. You know, I've, I've now lectured more than 10 years uh, and probably in front of almost 100,000 health practitioners about leaky gut. And we want to do the same for some of these issues, hormone imbalances and, uh, and the skin microbiome as well. Mm. That's fascinating because, yeah, you know, you don't hear much about leaky skin, but I mean, yeah. obviously it's, it's a big thing, but, you know, Kieran, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a couple, you know, we, in, in, in our past episodes, we've dove into the connection between the gut and the brain. We talked mm -hmm. last time about the gut and the immune system, but I really wanted to talk with you a little bit about gut and well, actually the microbiome and breathing mm -hmm. and, and the relationship we we've had, a we've done a lot of episodes on the power of the breath and what happens to people when they're not breathing properly. And, and I've heard you say, which I, which I found really interesting, that the 36% of the microbes, uh, of the microbial density in the body are in the intestine, but 23% is in the mouth. Yeah. And when we're not, so, so maybe Karen, maybe talk about what happens when we're, when we're mouth, mouth breathing, when we're not breathing very well, what happens to our, our mouth microbiome and maybe our nose microbiome as well? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple components to it. One is um, when you're mouth breathing, especially uh, given the density of microbes in the mouth and the tendency of the mi mouth microbiome to be dysbiotic, right? And the reason I say there's a tendency there is because oral hygiene is always a problem. 
Um, people consume things constantly that that create dysbiosis in the mouth. If we think about all the foods and drinks and all that that we consume that are laced with um, pesticides and herbicides and antimicrobials and preservatives, all of that sits in the mouth for a period of time. Um, and so what tends to happen in the mouth is we tend to get a heavy amount of dysbiosis. And, and another less um, interesting thing to think about, but very prevalent, is this whole fecal-oral contamination, right? There's a lot of diseases that are spread through the fecal-oral route. And the reason it's called fecal-oral route is because we in, inadvertently consume microbes from fecal matter of other people all the time. You know, and uh, there's a couple of different ways that that happens. Number one is just touching things. Uh, a lot of people have a bad habit of going to the bathroom and, and defecating and cleaning themselves, but not washing their hands, right? And then they come out in public places and they're touching doorknobs and railings and things like that. And we touch the same thing. And inevitably, we're going to touch our face, our mouth, our, our eyes, and so on, you know, dozens of times every hour. So we'll, we end up contaminating ourselves with their fecal bacteria. And then uh, the other issue is this fecal bacteria in households and offices and all that floating around in the air. And, um, and we consume that. It, it falls on surfaces, falls on foods, things like that. And we consume it. And, and I know that's not exciting to think about, uh, but it happens. And what tends to happen there is, again, it drives dysbiosis in the mouth. So now if you have this high concentration of dysbiotic microbes in your mouth with a very high density of microbes and you tend to mouth breathe, what, you, what you're tending to do is inhale in larger amounts of dysfunctional microbes into your airways and into your lungs than you're supposed to, right? We're, we're designed to breathe through our nose predominantly, and our nose has some interesting protective mechanisms in place to reduce the number of microbes that end up in the lungs. Number one, uh, when, you, when you look at the nasal passages, um, they, they tend to be narrower and, and there are little hair-like structures all over your nasal passages and, and your nasal passages uh, and your upper airway also have mucus. Um, the mucus layers tend to trap microbes, the hair-like um, particles, or sorry, the hair-like structures tend to move microbes back out uh, so that they don't go into deeper into the airways uh, areas. So breathing through the nose, which also has a much lower density of, of microbes and dysfunctional microbes, reduces the amount of microbes we end up putting into our lungs and the rest of our airway. When we breathe through our mouth, uh, we tend to increase the number of dysfunctional microbes we put into our airways, right? So that's one basic uh, plane in which to look at this is that uh, the mouth has very high density of microbes, tends to have high levels of contamination or, or dysfunctional microbes. And so not only is the density high, the prevalence of dysfunctional microbes is high. When we breathe through our mouth predominantly, we're bringing in a higher number of those dysfunctional microbes into our airways and into our lungs. And that can cause lots of issues over time like uh, asthma and allergies and hypersensitivities because your immune system now has to respond to those microbes that are in your lungs or in your, uh, in your upper respiratory tract. Breathing through the nose is more natural and there's some protective mechanisms to reduce the number of microbes that are being 
taking into taken into the lungs and also the nose in general has a much lower density of microbes mm. right so that's one important dimension for people to kind of separate the two and hence this issue of mouth breathing and uh, you know, certain people benefiting from taping the mouth at night and so on. That, that's where all of this comes from. Mm. Kieran, do you have a breathing practice that you follow at all, like in your your day to day life? Yeah, you know, there there's a um, a wonderful app uh, called Breath Source. Um, Breath Source is an app that uh, basically it's a syndicated number of breathing specialists um, that you could find almost anywhere in the world um, and, and it's translated into many different languages and they have um, you know experts breathing experts who lead you in whether it's five minute 10 minute 15 or 20 minute sessions right and it depends so there's a um, there are like awakening five minute breathing sessions there are during the day uh, calming or energizing 15 minute, 10 minute breathing session. So what I do is I tend to jump on the app and uh, when I when I have a moment and, and whether I have five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I choose a time period and and then I, I pick a routine that I tend to follow. Uh, the most the most common one that most people can do on their own, even without a guided person, is just doing simple box breathing. Right. I don't know if that's something. Have you have you tried that before? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's something that that people can do on their own uh, without a whole lot of effort, and it only takes a few minutes typically, and uh, and it can be extremely uh, beneficial. Um, now, Ayurvedic. There's all kinds of Ayurvedic breathing techniques as well, which helps train you to breathe through your nose a bit better. If people simply Google, you know, Ayurvedic breathing techniques for, for nose breathing, um, that can be uh, really helpful as well. But I, I do try to make a conscious effort to do some sort of breathing technique on a daily basis. That's great. That's great. Kieran, you know, I, it's so funny because Kieran and I have been trying to do this, this third episode. You know, we've had to reschedule months and months and months. It's just taken a while. And I was telling him earlier um, when we scheduled today, I, I forgot that they were installing a washer dryer downstairs. So anybody listening, I apologize in advance because you may hear banging and my dog has been barking nonstop the whole time. So but anyways, we're going to push through it because like I was telling Kieran, I really he's a hard man to get a hold of. And I really wanted to have him on the show. So just keep that in mind, everybody. So um, I, I actually haven't heard your dog once. Yeah, my dog actually ran by and barked a little bit, but no, <laughs> you're doing a good job managing the background noise. All right, good, good. She's in. I, I put her in the bathroom, and uh, hopefully, people won't hear that. But anyways, if you do hear it, I apologize. But Kieran has got great, great content here, so I think uh, we can all we can all look past that. Um, but I also wanted to talk about detoxification because it was very interesting, Kieran. One of the last times. I was going to have you on. There was just in, in the news, there was just there were just story after story about toxins and there were chemical spills going on and there was all this crazy stuff. And I mean, we all kind of know that we we pretty much live in the most toxic, you know, environment that that, that has ever been created. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the role of microbes when it comes to helping us detoxify. Yeah. Yeah, um, and that's a that's a 
a very, very critical role when people understand how detoxification actually happens. Um, now, often people feel that, and this is really, you know, uh, because of the promotion of detoxing kits and things like that, people get the, um, the erroneous idea that you have to induce detoxification in your body. Right. As if it's not a thing that's happening all the time. Your body's absolutely designed to be con constantly detoxifying itself. And it's not and it's not necessarily just from things that are coming in from the outside. So extrinsic factors. Right. Uh, your body is constantly detoxifying yourself of intrinsic factors as well, like your own hormones. Right. So when when. Uh, Hormones are um, are heavily controlled in the body. They they follow cycles. They follow lots of control mechanisms. They're used at lower doses within the body. Even the hormones you synthesize, like estrogen, for example, in women uh, and in men to a certain degree. But when the hormone is used, it has to be removed from the body, and that's called hormone detoxing. Right. And most of the toxins that enter your body also follow the same process as intrinsic factors being detoxed out of the body. So your body is absolutely designed as a machine to constantly detoxify itself. Um, now, you can assist it by taking certain supplements or drinking more water or sweating out a little bit more, increasing your metabolism you know, things like that, you can assist and accelerate the detox to a certain degree. Um, but nonetheless, your body has lots and lots of natural mechanisms for detoxing. Um, now, one of the most important components of detoxing is, of course, excretion of the chemicals out of the body, right? And it can, it can come out in really one of three ways. It can come out through urine, uh, it can come out through sweat, or it can come out through defecation. As it turns out, defecation is one of the most prevalent ways in which to remove um, uh, toxins. And then urine is next, uh, and then sweating is probably the last, right? And so between urine and defecation, you cover 80, 90% of the way in which your body removes toxins or unwanted things from itself. Now, in both of those processes, the microbiome is involved. Now, the microbiome can either improve or assist in the detoxification, or if you have a dysfunctional microbiome, it can actually negate the de detoxification process. And this is where, the, you know, the understanding for most people kind of falters is that not only is the microbiome important to be able to detox, but if you have the wrong microbes, they can actually do the opposite and retoxify your body. Let me explain what tends to happen. Let's take estrogen as an example, right? So, and this, this can be the same for any compound that enters into your body and extrinsic factor that your body's trying to get rid of. So normally it's the liver, right? The liver does the bulk of the phase one detox. Phase one detox typically involves uh, a toxin making its way to the liver through circulation um, and once it gets to the liver, what the liver tends to do is conjugate these toxins. Conjugation is a chemical process in which the liver covers the, the, the compound with the molecule. Covering renders that molecule ineffective. So it's doing this with estrogen as well. It takes estrogen that gets dumped into the gut. 
and then the transportation of that uh, of that molecule, the estrogen from the gut ends up in the liver. 85% of things that end up in the gut and get absorbed through will end up in the liver. That's, the, that's what we call portal circulation. Once the estrogen ends up in the liver, the liver conjugates it, so it covers it, uh, and then it secretes it back into the gut for defecation. Right. And now it's conjugated, which means that estrogen doesn't function the way it's supposed to. It doesn't have receptor binding capability to be reabsorbed. It basically has been nullified and it's just going to move out of the body through defecation. Now, you've got uh, microbes in the body that will break down the conjugated estrogen further into byproducts that are that can some of it can be urinated out because it becomes water soluble. Other components of that stay oil soluble and end up going out through defecation. So the beneficial microbes assist in breaking down that that conjugated estrogen even further to help it be uh, becoming um, easy for excretion, right? So that's a beneficial way in which the microbes support detoxification. Now, if microbes weren't there to do that, it would be harder to excrete those larger molecules. Um, and, and given that a lot of it is supposed to get excreted through urination, um, you know, you, you want to break it down into these smaller water soluble compounds, right? So that's, that's uh, the basic way in which microbes help. They do some of the breakdown work after the liver has done its job covering or conjugating molecules. The microbes break them down further so it's easier to get rid of them through urination and through defecation. Now, if you have dysfunctional microbes, they do the exact opposite. When, you, when, a con, when the conjugated estrogen goes back into the gut, where it's supposed to be metabolized further to get rid of, they actually deconjugate it. They remove that molecular cap and they reactivate the estrogen. And then now this reactivated estrogen gets reabsorbed into circulation and starts going around the body acting like estrogen, right? And it's not supposed to be there. And so now you start getting issues of what we call estrogen dominance, which is a very significant and in fact, the most common hormone imbalance issue. Now, the same thing happens with extrinsic factors and extrinsic factors, the predominance of extrinsic factors uh, that, that we are exposed to end up in the gut, right? So we have to remember that, that most of the things we're exposed to, we end up swallowing in some way or the other. Even if it's a chemical that we breathe in, that's the mucociliary elevator I mentioned earlier. The mucus will trap it. Uh, the hair, hair-like uh, structures will move it up, and then we will. It'll move it up to the to our throat, where we end up swallowing it. Uh, if we breathe it in, it'll end up in our throat. If it enters our eyes, it'll drip down into the back of our throat. If it enters our ears through the eustachian tube, it'll drip into the back of the throat. And certainly, we swallow and drink the the toxin it ends up in our throat and all of it ends up in our gut. So once it ends up in the gut, of course, it goes to the liver, the liver conjugates it or tries to inactivate it and then sends it back out into the gut to be metabolized further by microbes or excreted directly the way it is. Now, again, microbes, if they're dysfunctional, can remove the conjugation and allow those toxins to get reabsorbed in their active form and accumulate in the body. Right, so that's a very, very important phase one, phase two of detox, and microbes play a critical role there. So not only having dysfunctional microbes, will they not assist in removing the toxin, 
they will actually do the opposite and increase the reabsorption of the toxin and increase accumulation of those toxins inside the body. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating that it can go, that it, that it works both ways, that they can mm -hmm. either be your best friend or your worst nightmare if you have the wrong population of microbes. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's exactly, you know, my, my point I always push when people think about the microbiome is that there's a spectrum of relationship between the host and the microbiome. Uh, imagine on one end of the spectrum, you've got a very healthy, diverse microbiome, which means it's the best thing for your body, right? It's supporting your body. It's, 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 um, it's uh, increasing the nutrition in the body. It's facilitating repair and regeneration in the body. It's protecting the body. It's doing all kinds of things that are absolutely essential for the body. And on the other end of the spectrum, not only is it not doing a lot of those things, it's actually driving inflammation, driving toxicity, driving disease, and so on. So the microbiome is, most people's microbiome is somewhere on that spectrum. And depending on what your symptoms are and, and you know, your sensitivities and, um, you know, your conditions and all that, you have to try to figure out where on that spectrum your relationship of your microbiome to your body is, right? And then we have to constantly be trying to drive it back in the direction where your microbiome is actually supportive and protective of your body rather than harming your body. Mm. What would you say, Kieran, I'm curious to know some of your staple foods that, that you eat on a regular basis to really drive that diversity, to drive that rewilding of the gut, uh, rebalancing of the gut, in particular, for someone listening out there who who maybe maybe ha was just took a course of antibiotics, maybe has a wrecked gut, a, a, a dysbiosis of some kind. What might you recommend as some staple foods that that you use in your life that can be helpful for helping to rebalance and, yeah. and produce a healthy gut? Yeah. Um, so if you're if you're really thinking about the the microbes uh, component. Um, and you're, you're thinking about feeding them versus feeding yourself. Um, now, we're one and the same, but they, they actually prefer different kinds of foods than the human host typically does, right? So um, the category of foods that really, really support the microbes are roots and tubers. So, um, and so these are things that have resistant starches uh, in them and oligosaccharides, right? So the most common forms of these are things like sweet potato uh, and cassava and plantains, um, any kind of root and tuber. And if people just Google foods that are rich, uh, you know, roots and tuber examples of food, foods, they'll find a number of things that they have full access to at their grocery stores. So increasing the intake of roots and tubers can be highly beneficial for the gut microbiome. The second thing to think about is just increasing the diversity of the number of things you eat. Um, you know, your average Westerner eats maybe 15 types of foods each year. Our ancestors ate upwards of 600 different types of foods annually. So to, our microbiomes um, have evolved based on that high diversity in diet. Um, and so increasing the number of plant-based materials you eat, fruits that you eat, you know, lean meats, um, I like multiple sources of lean meats uh, on a weekly basis, you know, fish and, and chicken and, and beef and lamb and things like that. I, 
Um, you know, I try to diversify my source of those kind of uh, meat, uh, animal-based proteins. Uh, and then, of course, um, plant-based foods, increasing the diversity of those, trying to be deliberate, deliberate on a day-to-day -day basis to get at least 20, 25 different foods into your system. Uh, and again, roots and tubers are incredibly important. Uh, and then the other category are polyphenols. Polyphenols are incredibly important as well. Polyphenols essentially act as uh, prebiotics in your gut. And there are lots of uh, microbes in the gut that are keystone species that are dependent on polyphenols, right? So polyphenols can be found uh, at high concentration in things like berries, like blueberries, blackberries, cherries, green tea, for example, dark chocolates, you know, apples, um, and, and even things like green vegetables, so red uh, spinach, um, you know, kale, things like that. You also, of course, you want to try to get organic as much as you can in most of these types of foods because you want to reduce your exposure to pesticides. Um, and so if you can get organic, if you grow some of this on your own, um, you want you want to increase your intake of polyphenols, roots and tubers, and then just be conscious about diversify, diversification of your sources of food, mm. right? And, and it would help to count, um, you know, set a goal for yourself, right? One of the things I always rec recommend it to people is um, to try to add in a new food into your diet every week. Um, and the easiest way to do that, especially if it's uh, foods that you're not, you're not commonly consuming, is to go to an ethnic grocery store in your region. So around my house, I've got amazing Asian market, Middle Eastern markets, and so on. When I go to those places, there are roots and tubers and vegetables and fruits um, that I don't find at my normal grocery store. And what I try to do is add one of those into my diet each week. And then you maintain the one you added. And, and by the end of the year, you probably would have added 30 plus new foods to your diet. And you don't have to make a whole meal out of it, right? If you just buy some, for example, bok choy at the Asian uh, market, you just add it to any salads or stir fries or anything you might eat, right? So just adding it into what you normally cook, just take a new food product from uh, that you haven't consumed in the past and adding it into any one of your meals throughout the week. Great. Oh, that's a wonderful suggestion, uh, Karen. Great. Very, very, very well, very well put. I think I, I haven't heard anyone say that, but that what a great idea. Uh, final question. I know you're a busy man and I know you're traveling all the time. I saw a travel video that you put out and uh, it was fun because I enjoyed you, you took us through like the lounge and um, yeah. it, it was a great video. Um, but I'm just curious, how do you stay healthy? during the travel, the grind of life? Are there, are there some strategies that you follow that help keep you healthy during like busy times? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, speaking of busy times, I, I took a uh, red eye last night. Um, so I, I landed at 6 a.m. this morning from, from California, um, you know, ended up sleeping two hours last night on the plane. Uh, took a nap this morning when I got here and, and um, you know, now it's time to recover from that, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when you travel as much as I do, and a lot of people, you know, have disruptions to what would be a normal routine in their life because of 
work, family, whatever the circumstances. Um, in my view, you need to do th two things, right? Number one is through the disruption, still maintain certain habits. And I'll mention what those habits are. Number two, um, build resilience and focus a lot on building resilience when you're not in those busy times. And the reason for the building of resilience is that when you do then encounter these busy times, like for me with, with taking, having to take a red eye flight last night and, you know, um, not having the best meals because you're eating at the airport and so on, that your body can handle it. Right. And, and you can, you can bounce back, uh, and rebound back. Uh, and then the last thing is, what do you do to recover from it, right? So, so the three things. Number one is a couple of things that you need to maintain during the busy times. Number two is when you're not in the busy times, focusing on building resilience. And number three, what do you do to recover from those kind of busy, disruptive times, right? So let's tackle each one of those um, uh, for people to so they can understand. So the first one, what what do I do? to that I ensure I maintain even when I'm flying, you know, to Australia, New Zealand and, and for two, three days and then coming back and, you know, doing all of these things that are disruptive to a normal routine. Number one is I still continue my intermittent fasting, right? So intermittent fasting to me is a very important process of controlling metabolic response and then also uh, regenerating of cellular uh, mechanism and machinery and detoxification of the body, right? So I still try to maintain the 16, 15 to 16 hour fast when I'm doing this, when I'm traveling around and, and, and running around like a crazy person. Um, intermittent fasting to me is really, really important. Number two is I keep up with my supplement regime, right? So even if I'm gone for a whole week, uh, this trip that I just came back from, I was gone for six days and I actually flew across the country a couple of times throughout that time, right? Uh, one is the longest flight I think you could take in in the continent of the uh, uh, North America, and it's certainly in the US, is I flew from Miami to San Francisco. So it's basically one corner of the country to the other. It's almost a six hour flight just within the US itself. Um, and that happened a couple of times. And so during that though, it's important to maintain your supplement regimen, right? So everyone should develop a supplement regimen of the basic, most basic things that they need. For me, it's gut support. So probiotics, prebiotics, polyphenols, I'm always taking those as supplements. Um, basic nutrition, so your vitamins, minerals, always getting those in. Um, and then I take a number of things for circulatory health and heart health, because in my family, we have a uh, family history of heart disease. So that's something I'm always conscious of, right? So I'm taking things like fish oil, um, garlic extract, natokinase, which is an enzyme that's fibrolytic that helps with, uh, with arterial health, uh, berberine, uh, which is something that's really good for um, supporting reduction in plaque formation and so on. Uh, nitric oxide, which is great for blood pressure and vascular health. So these are some of the things that I take that are non-negotiable that I put together daily packs uh, in little bags for myself so I don't forget them and, and they become easy to travel with. So I stick with my intermittent fasting and I stick with my supplement regimen when I'm in these busy times when sometimes I may not get to sleep enough and all that, right? So that's important to stick with. So pick two or three things that are non-negotiable non that you're absolutely going to stick with through the busy times. 
then the second part of it is the building resilience when you are in a place when you're doing a regular routine. So the resilience building is, is of course, partly intermittent fasting. So I intermittent fast normally. I work a lot of my gut. So I, I take a lot of gut supplements and I diversify my meals and my diet as much as I can. Um, I do um, stress management. I don't tend to be a naturally stressed person, which is good. But nonetheless, I do mindfulness work, breathing techniques, um, and so on in, in terms of stress management, because stress is one of the biggest drivers of inflammation and toxicity in the body. In fact, a 2015 publication in Frontiers of Immunology showed that stress-induced leakiness in the gut, which is probably the biggest, the most prevalent driver of leakiness in the gut, stress-induced leakiness in the gut was the biggest cause of mortality and morbidity worldwide. So that kills more people than anything else in the world, right? Because it's the foundation of most chronic illnesses. And, and you cannot build resilience if your body is inflamed or highly toxic, right? And so managing stress and managing gut health through uh, probiotics and so on uh, becomes incredibly important because that's the biggest source of chronic low-grade inflammation and toxicity. Right, so um, intermittent fasting when, when I'm building resilience, um, focusing on the gut heavily, focusing on stress management, diversification of diet, spending time outdoors as much as I can in natural environments, that helps diversify your system and also build resilience. Um, I try to get as much sleep as I can in, in a most consistent manner. You're better off getting six hours of sleep consistently every night, then eight hours, three nights, and then four hours the next night, and five hours, and then eight hours again, right? So the studies are, are, are pretty clear that consistency is one of the most important things in sleep. Um, I exercise a good amount, so I lift, uh, and I do a lot of cardiovascular as well because I cycle, and I was com a competitive cyclist for a while, but I also do a lot of resistance training because you have to build muscle. Right, muscle building is one of the best protections you can provide yourself in terms of resilience. And so to me, I've always built muscle. I've always focused on maintaining muscle. So those seven or so things are things that I do to continue to build resilience, right? So build resilience when you're in your normal routine, two or three non-negotiables that you don't skip when you're in those crazy busy times. And then the last thing is when you do come out of the crazy busy times, how do you recover from it, right? For me, uh, my my favorite recovery, which I'll do today because um, of the you know long six days and then the the red eye flight and so on, is sauna time. I love red light therapy and infrared sauna. I uh, fortunately have an infrared sauna here in my home. Uh, for people that that don't have a full infrared sauna, there's there's relatively low cost ones you can buy, uh, which is a single person sauna where you're sitting in there with your head sticking out. Uh, those things can be highly effective or now in many places you can go and buy sessions where in, in sauna, you know, uh, facilities. And so I do the infrared sauna probably a couple times. Uh, I have red light therapy machines, so I'll just do red light on my face and my chest and my body. Um, I'll get moderate exercise in on a day that I haven't slept much the night before. I'm not going to do any high intensity exercise, but I'll get some movement in like a walk or something uh, like that. Um, I'll, I'll have really healthy meals today, uh, not, not um, you know, uh, 
deviating from it. Um, and then the idea tonight would be to get really good sleep. Uh, have a good sleep routine and, you know, I have to work during the day anyway. So, but this evening, uh, I'll be, I'll be, uh, going to bed probably earlier than I normally would and allowing my body the time to rest, to recover. Cause a lot of the recovery happens when you're sleeping, your, um, your housekeeping genes turn on and that's what recovers your tissues and your gut and your brain and all of that stuff gets recovered when you're sleeping. Right. So hopefully that helps uh, looking at it in these three manners. Right. Um, the when you when you have time and, and you're in a place where you can do a routine, the things to focus on to build resilience when you when you are going through crazy times like traveling and all that or, or, or just busyness with work and so on. What are the non-negotiables that you will stick to? And then you have to think about recovery from those times. Right. You do have to do specific things to try to recover your system. Hopefully that all made sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, though. That was great, Karen. So, Karen, as we as we bring this to a close, I, I know you're 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 getting involved. You're involved in different companies and and all of that. Is there anywhere that if people are listening that you'd like them to check out right now? Is there anything that you'd like them to to take a look at or stuff coming soon or? Yeah, that you know, there's there's a lot of. Um, wonderful companies and brands that I'm working with that are bringing uh, innovation to the market. Um, you know, from a uh, if if you're in the New Zealand Australia area, look at a brand called Gutsy G U T S I. Um, Gutsy Wellness is doing some really cool stuff with probiotics, prebiotics, uh, polyphenol products, and all that gut health stuff um, that that are really high level um, that are that are well done. Um, that have some good science behind it. Um, if you're in the U.S., you've got, of course, Microbiome Labs products. If you work through a practitioner or if you're not working through a practitioner, a, a retail version of those is a brand called Just Thrive Health. Um, so Just Thrive Health is doing phenomenal stuff as well. Um, I'm a big fan of and I'm doing a lot. You know, I, I mentioned earlier on the skin microbiome. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Young Goose skincare. Uh, Young Goose is doing some phenomenal stuff. Uh, these NAD topical products and um, a lot of their skincare products are very well thought out with some really good scientific backing. Uh, they're products that I use myself. Um, there's another one, uh, up and coming brand, if you're in, in the US, called Source, S O U R S E. It's snackable wellness. They've developed a dark chocolate delivery system where they can put a lot of key uh, clinically substantiated active ingredients in it. Um, a number of their products are geared towards skin health right now. Um, but nonetheless, it's a wonderful way of, um, you know, avoiding the pill fatigue that many people have, right? Adding in capsules into your diet, uh, into your routine on a daily basis. They've really done a great job of, of achieving nice, healthy chocolate, that has clinically relevant levels of important nutrition in it. Um, a lot, again, for your skin and hair and so on. Uh, but as I mentioned uh, earlier, the, some of the underlying factors that, that, that create issues on aging skin and, and hair um, are actually independent risk factors for chronic disease. So the ingredients they have in these products at source 
even though they they are geared towards helping your skin and hair look better, they're actually helping your overall health because they target the issues that create conditions like leaky skin. And so it's it's something that I think is really exciting because I think it brings more people into the nutritional market because it's so democratized and accessible uh, because it's chocolate. And who doesn't love eating chocolate, right? Um, so I have a couple of them a day and, and it's like my treat. Uh, you know, I have a good healthy meal and then I'm always, there's a part of my brain that's always been geared towards like, wait, I need a sweet treat, right? <laughs> And so I'm either fighting that or trying to find something that's relatively healthy as a sweet treat. Uh, and so these cho- these dark chocolate bites are perfect for that. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Cool, cool Karen. Yeah, so people can check out those and uh, look into those. I'm going to look into those myself. Um, Karen, thank you so much again for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for continuing to put out wonderful information. So people can be empowered and and take control of their health. Thank you for listening to the Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.